Hello, 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 hello. This is Christopher. Have you listened to the last post yet? It's like the bugle, but the world is moving as it is Sunday, the 9th of February, is a sex special. Sex. newspaper for a visual world. Hello Buglers and welcome to Bugle issue 4140, now with an all new special choose your own introductory banter option. (laughs) Hello Buglers, Uh, I'm fine thanks, apart from slight stiffness in the back and a chronic worry about the state of our species. You, insert your response here, then delete according to preference. (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm delighted to hear it, Stroke. I'm very sorry about that, Stroke. Wow, Stroke. Oh, God, that's terrible. Why didn't you tell me before, Stroke? Right, listen to me. You must get a lawyer, Stroke. Oh, I've never tried exorcism. How's it working out for you all, Stroke? Well, then, happy acquittal to you. Uh, so, uh, I hope you enjoy that new introductory <laughs> Choose Your Own Bander section. What a show we've got for you uh, uh, this week. Um, joining me today to pick the bones out of the week's news, eat those bones, choke on those bones, and then try to heimlich our way to at least a state of passive acceptance. Here in London, the man described as the British Asian male non-tennis playing still alive version of Suzanne Longlong, <laughs> Nish Kumar. <laughs> Andy, uh, as you well know, that is one of the more flattering descriptions I've had. <laughs> In the last uh, week and a half or so. So, uh, I mean, what is your latest beef with uh, <laughs> the, uh, the entire... Well, <laughs> yes, I mean, in strict contravention of my Hindu upbringing, I am having beef upon beef upon beef. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gee. Uh, it was... Um, so the latest <laughs> the latest bout uh, started last Friday when... Uh, I, about a year ago, I filmed... Some interstitial things. There's a, a really fun TV program which I suspect your kids may even watch. Yes. called Horrible Histories. We've watched that a, a lot over yeah. the years. It's yeah. a it's a really fun. Show. It's a sort of factually based show uh, about history, but they take the facts of history and turn it into very funny comedy sketches. It was a series of books that I was a very big fan of when I was growing up, uh, and the TV show has been a re- real sort of big hit in this country. Uh, and uh, about a year and a half ago, they asked me if I would introduce some clips about Britain and Europe. Uh, uh, to coincide with Brexit Day, whenever that was going to happen. I forgot about that. Uh, I said yes to it because I was very excited and a big fan of the programme. And I I filmed it and had a perfectly nice time and then sort of forgot about it. And then it got released on Friday. And what can only be described as a tsunami of (laughs) faeces landed on me uh, because a clip was posted on the internet of a song about how uh, the a lot of the things that we take for granted as being British were actually imported during the Victorian era. Uh, and I, I introduced that with some sort of, I thought, sort of tongue-in-cheek comments about uh, Britain's impending glorious independence revolution. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh... <laughs> It was not taken uh, in the sort of cheeky spirit as it was intended. <laughs> and uh, in the last week, I've been accused of uh, anti-British sentiment, hating British culture and brainwashing British children, which right. I, I, I'm one of those things. And, <laughs> and I'm not going to say which one. I was doing one of those things. Uh, but yeah, it you know, it upset the usual group of journalists, a word I'm using 
incorrectly. And uh, it's, you know, it was just another a sort of week of frothing at the mouth from right. the commentariat. I mean, to be honest, they've got a point, Nish, because these things you say were imported to Britain. <laughs> really, what happened was they only were discovered to be British having come from overseas. So it... <laughs> I mean, it's we're getting to slightly semantic territory. These things were always British; it's just they didn't exist in Britain. And people hadn't realised that yet. I've learnt some startling things, Andy. The the most startling thing I've learned is that uh, Wandsworth in South London, where I was born, is now is actually not in Britain, right? Uh, because I've been consistently told to get out of Britain and go back to where I came from, and so it was a real interesting piece of information for me to learn that I'd always assumed that South London was in fact in Britain, but actually. It's technically part of Madras. <laughs> well, it's good to clear these things up. Uh, also uh, joining us uh, from Chicago, the, the the windy city. Sorry, I, re- I read that wrong. The windy kitchen. It's uh, it's Hari Kondabolu. Oh, hello. I, I prefer hello. to be called Nish Kumar America. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I'll accept my given name. Just as a kind of a, a nice story to offset some of the negativity I've already brought to this podcast, uh, Hurry uh, actually texted me at one point uh, during my last bout of press coverage uh, and said, uh, he sent me a very nice text saying, I hope you're okay. And I said, um, oh, I'm all right. And thanks for asking. And I know you know exactly what how this feels. And Hurry responded, yes, I know exactly how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> Solidarity, brother. Yes. <laughs> uh, so how's uh, how's America, uh, Harry? Oh, 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 have you not been getting the news? Oh, right. Yeah, I've been. <laughs> it hasn't. It hasn't. It hasn't come over yet. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't got. You haven't gotten those telegrams. It's, it's not good, Andy. On this day in the year fourteen ninety seven. There was the bonfire of the vanities in Florence. The controversial priest Girolamo Savonarola set fire to, and I quote, shitloads of stuff that might tempt one to commit sin, including um, vanity-related items such as mirrors and cosmetics, dresses, playing cards, tapestries, musical instruments, as well as books and works of art, which for our younger listeners are ancient physical objects that people used to use before the invention of the mobile phone to convey ideas, images and expressions of the human soul. Uh, he destroyed works of Ovid, Dante, Boccaccio, Hendrix, Gyllenhaal, Benno, Rihanna and Gretzky. Uh, and ironically, um, Savonarola himself got on the wrong, wrong end of a bonfire the following year, hung from a cross in Florence and set on fire. And he must have chuckled to himself. Um, and apparently his uh, final words were, uh, ooh, smells a bit like chicken, I've always wondered, and Tuscany is so overrated. Uh, so we're asking uh, this week, uh, what would you set fire to today in an effort to clean up society from sin? Nish? <laughs> I mean, could you set fire to the whole of the internet? <laughs> is it is that possible? How how I don't I don't really know how you would even start with that. Right. But certainly I think setting fire to the internet would be... Because it, it is a whole mess of sin out there, Andy. Right. I don't know if you've tried Googling porn recently, but there's a lot of it out there. <laughs> I'm too busy Googling you. Hari, <laughs> uh... <laughs> what would you set fire to today to, to make the world a happier place? Uh, you know the answer to that, Andy. And <laughs> if I say that answer, the government will kill me and my family. <laughs> uh, I'd set fire to my own diesel car, possibly a counterproductive gesture. Uh, uh, on Monday, the uh, 10th of February, it will be the anniversary of the 10th of February in 1355, when a riot took place in Oxford, the St Scholastica Day riot. There was a disagreement in a pub 
A couple of students complained about the quality of the wine. That dispute then spilled out into the streets and three days later, 90 people had been killed. Um, that is a proper British pub squabble. Um, <laughs> and the moral of the story is, do not live in the 14th century. It was f***ing nuts. And uh, on the 10th of February 1840, Queen Victoria married Prince Albert. Oh, yep. happy anniversary. Yeah, and that's so also the, uh, well, the 11th of February was the uh, anniversary of the invention of bunting. Because uh, that dates, uh, it's got an interesting historical story, the origin of bunting. Um, it was, because um, it was a tradition then after a royal wedding that people would gather outside the windows of, uh, outside Buckingham Palace and look up at the, the matrimonial bedroom window <laughs> to see, you know, just to applaud the the holy deed. And, because, uh, you know, much more formal time. And um, uh, so there was a huge crowd gathered outside and they looked up um, and um, obviously Queen Victoria, unusually for the time, were very much in love with uh, with Albert and they had got quite enthusiastic, it must be said, on their uh, their, uh, their conjugals. And um, there was just a load of, you know, uh, I think her uh, Union Jack bra and panties set and his Union Jack posing pouch that he'd, he'd had specially made as a gesture of of uh, yeah, welcoming himself to to the, the British nation, people looked up, saw these triangular bits of fabric hanging from the window, and thought, "Oh, that's how we're supposed to mark great national occasions." So ever since then, we've been hanging up little bits of bunting. And it's yeah, it's lucky, isn't it? They didn't look on the other side of the room; otherwise, bunting today would involve gimp masks, which are roast chicken. <laughs> Why do you hate Britain, Andy? <laughs> I don't hate it, Nish. I just want it back. <laughs> uh, as always, the section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, cartoon characters. It's the 80th anniversary of the first Tom and Jerry cartoon. Tom and Jerry were then performing under the pseudonyms of Jasper and Jinx before they finally came out as themselves uh, subsequently. Um, and so Jasper and Jinx never really been heard of again. Uh, but uh, we look now in the special section of the bin at other cartoon characters that have been left on the cutting room floor and have never made it to the mainstream as Tom and Jerry famously did. We look at the sadly never broadcast cartoon Horace the Hammer and Susie Sickle and uh, Caesar and Cheezer. That was a, a could have been a classic if only it had the right release. Time-travelling, crime-busting uh, cartoon romp in which the dead Roman leader Julius Caesar pairs up with Cheezer, a novelty shape-shifting cheese who can change into any variety of cheese depending on the situation to uh, A, stop the baddies taking over the universe, B, uh, help Julius Caesar get the power of Rome back up to what it was and C, support the global dairy industry um that section in the bin amazing to think that all of those cartoon characters were consigned to history by individual documentaries presented by harry condovale <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say it if you weren't <laughs> if any of you have cartoons that you have issues with i am looking for a new project so. i mean is it is it like you know, kind of commission on achievement of the eradication of the the offending cartoon. No, no, it's it's by it the fifteenth, uh, the fifteen hundredth death threat. That's how oh, you okay. know it is a successful documentary. Fifteen hundred. Wow, wow, we we've hit the mark. Oh, the magic number. The magic number. I've pissed off just enough people. <laughs> I don't. I've never had an official death threat. I think I did have a. Oh, I'll knock one up for you right now. Thank buddy. you. I have. I, have, I did after another BBC thing have a. a a kind of gently worded invitation to become dead, but I don't think it could be described as a death threat. <laughs> Top story this week, America. Well, uh, Hari... USA! Uh, USA! It's, uh, it's been, uh, I think what we can safely describe as one f*** of a week in uh, 
in uh, America, your president, it turns out, was innocence all along. <laughs> um, uh, after, despite uh, many people uh, and indeed the overwhelming weight of evidence suggesting otherwise, uh, the impeachment case, a court case that will be known immutably in the annals of legal history as Bubble versus Bubble, um, pitched the unwinnably watertight prosecution against the completely threadbare defence, and only one result was possible under the uh, extraordinary way that America decides these things. How's uh, how's the reaction in uh, in America? Uh, not surprised at all, actually. We all kind of knew that this was not going to happen. Uh, we also knew that watching the trial would be boring. Um, we also knew that lots of money would be spent. So it's achieved all those goals. Right, okay, that's good. Um, and uh, the one thing I will say is that it does bring to mind the old adage, the truth will set you free. Or many, many, many lies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's nice to see that in action. Um, I mean, there was there were certain elements. I mean, it's quite hard, obviously, for us outsiders and this to understand yeah. the, the the process in America. I mean, the, the one thing that really stood out for me was the um, the Republicans not allowing witnesses to to be called in a in, in a in a legal case that needs people to to give evidence in in the greatest democracy in in the world that witnesses witnesses were were, were not i mean it's this uh, yeah, no, we really changed like to, it up yes i mean i guess yeah for too long witnesses have been part of a uh, yeah let's just judge judy this bitch just get just have a just just have one person just randomly assign a verdict based on absolutely no evidence whatsoever this is what happens when you leave things in the hands of Mitch McConnell, uh, a man who looks like a mid-transformation ninja turtle, and who <laughs> has, or, who had already promised from the beginning that he would not be an impartial witness, and really delivered on that. And I think many of us possibly uh, were hoping that over the Christmas period, Mitch McConnell might be visited by three ghosts. But the reality is that even if Mitch McConnell was visited by three ghosts, they wouldn't cause him to change his behaviour because he would consider them, as they from the spirit realm, to be immigrants and would immediately <laughs> draw up papers for their deportation. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting that hauntings have come down in America since Trump took office. <laughs> he built the wall. You can't, you can't argue with the facts. Keep out the Mexicans, keep out the spirit realm. I mean, it's a curious way of conducting this judicial process. Uh, that, I mean, essentially, because you, normally you expect to have you know an independent jury in uh, in a trial. But obviously, what, what happened in this was that essentially the same people were the defence lawyer, the jury, the judge, the stenographer, the clerk of the court, the witnesses who then didn't testify, the court reporter for the local rag, and the defendant were basically just essentially one and the same person, or basically identical Yeah, twins. it's the kind of legal shenanigans that even John Grisham would find implausible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and if uh, this was happening in another country, you could probably successfully apply for asylum in this one. <laughs> <laughs> so... Hurry, are you saying America is now a failed state? Uh, th- this seems to be a big marker. A-, a sham trial of the president usually is an indication of a failed state. I'm not. <laughs> the, I'm not. I mean, the military coup. Whenever that happens, that's when we'll know for sure. But uh, not yet. <laughs> uh, Trump said, "I went through hell unfairly. I did nothing wrong." 
And you know, I guess as people who've gone through hell go, um, he didn't do anything wrong. He actually has clearly managed to hack out a pretty favourable deal with Beelzebub himself. <laughs> um, there's an ancient saying in my culture that uh, sprang to mind a little bit uh, watching Trump this week, and that uh, saying is, when you're sucking the devil's cock, may he piss until you drown. Um, <laughs> Which bit of the Torah was that in? Oh, I never said it was the Torah. <laughs> Sort of my culture. Um, <laughs> so, um, a shameful day for the U.S. Senate, said Elizabeth Warren. A somber day for the U.S. Constitution and a sad day for the United States of America. Bernie Sanders said the evidence of Trump's guilt is so overwhelming that the Republican Party, for the first time in the history of presidential impeachment, obstructed testimony from witnesses. Uh, this will truly be remembered as a sad and dangerous moment in the history of our country. Trump himself reacted with dignified humility, conciliatory <laughs> openness and a heartfelt pledge to learn from his mistakes, plus a renewed commitment to uphold the true values of the US. Oh, hang on, oh, I wrote this before the verdict. Did, did that actually happen? Uh, he might not have gone through hell, but I don't know. Did you see the press conference where he sort of held up the Washington Post? Yes. It's Whoever is in charge of the spray tan <laughs> overcooked it. <laughs> Like it genuinely looked like like it's you know occasionally you see somebody has like gone a little too hard on the orange, and yesterday he, I mean he looked like he was going to a costume party dressed as Justin Trudeau. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it does show uh, Harry how just totally and irreparably partisan politics in America has has become. I guess maybe it's always been a that way to to an extent but the fact that the the voting the impeachment trial that th there was basically one vote against uh party lines and that was uh that was Mitt Romney on one of the two charges <laughs> um so and essentially politics is I mean is there any chance of any meaningful debate at all no right okay good that's uh <laughs> just the fact that Mitt Romney's getting this much credit yeah, <laughs> is is shocking because he he had a unique method of taking all the evidence into account and making a decision based on said evidence instead of just <laughs> making up his mind before the trial. And that is seen in America at this point as honorable and a rare <laughs> act. It seems generally politics in America, particularly, but really around the world. And we've seen this in, in the, the, the Brexit era of British politics is. And all of political discourse now is essentially like an argument between a Renaissance art expert and a devotee of agricultural machinery, interrupted occasionally by a tennis fan, in which the dialogue goes along the lines of, I'm telling you, it is impossible to overstate the influence of Giotto on the later evolution of high Renaissance painting. Fuck you! The Massey Ferguson 399T is not only one of the most important tractors ever produced, it is also one of, if not the best. What are you talking about you clattering numbskull Peter Bruegel the Elder left a legacy of art that not only remains relevant today for its depiction of the human condition but also constitutes a priceless insight into the everyday way of life of a long lost time cock you are a cock what is your problem with agricultural fertiliser if it's used correctly it actually benefits the environment overall guys guys cool it can we not at least agree that tennis seriously missed an opportunity to control the advance of racket technology in the early 80s and the shift from McEnroe to Becker at Wimbledon through the 1980s marked the end of what we may broadly call primary era tennis. Well, you can f*** 
fuck off as well. If Caravaggio was here today, he'd paint you and then he'd fucking kill you. Well, you're both a pair of pillocks. The John Deere Combine 9870 STS would easily beat both Hieronymus Bosch and Pam Shriver in a who can harvest the most grain in our competition. Fact. Owned. You've been owned. <laughs> if you were a tennis fan of a particular era, that must have meant a lot. <laughs> It's not like Andy to delve into a riff based on obscure sports knowledge. I'd it... have to check out some tractors, though. Man, there's some buttes. Absolute buttes. Yeah, Trump also said at his uh, weird press conference, which he himself described as a celebration, uh, it was corrupt, it was dirty cops, it was a disgrace. If, they had ha- if this had happened to President Obama, a lot of people in jail- would have been in jail for many years. The answer to which is, yes, one of those people would have been President Obama. <laughs> if he had taken so much as a pen on his way out of the White House, the police would have had him face down on the lawn. <laughs> Um, the the verdict in the impeachment uh, trial followed the the State of the Union uh, address, the uh, annual jamboree of um, uh, well, I mean, presidential propaganda, and um, I mean, it showed once again Trump's unique ability to meld bumbling incoherence with swaggering grandstanding. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's not unique. If I may think briefly about our own Prime Minister, um, it was uh, classic Trump. Uh, trademark cocktail of half-truths, wild exaggerations and flagrant uh, disinformation and uh, included the extraordinary award to um, the Conservative... Um, what's, what's the term for Rush, Rush Limbaugh? He's a That's it, yeah. It's a technical, uh, technical term. <laughs> Presidential Medal of Freedom was uh, presented to Rush Limbaugh, who is now dying of, uh, of cancer. And um, how, how... I mean, in terms of deliberate acts of divisiveness, this was... Uh, it's right up there, isn't it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. This, uh, this is bad. This is very. Let's just, let's put this into perspective. Mother Teresa won a Medal of Freedom. <laughs> a Philip Randolph, and now Rush Limbaugh. That's like Charlie Brown getting elected into the NFL Hall of Fame. <laughs> this is. There's going to be lots of disagreement on that. <laughs> This is like a real honor. This isn't like the knighthood that you give out (laughs) willy-nilly now. What is that? You sing well. You used to have to slay dragons. What is this? Well, Harry, in terms of the actual awarding of it as well, there's not really a precedent for a president just stopping the State of the Union to start handing out silverware, right? (laughs) (laughs) No, this this is a, a, a talk show... Uh, element that he is incorporated into the State of the Union. <laughs> well, because he also then had uh, um, he he had a, reunited a troop with the troops' family. Yes, during in sort of mid-speech, which is a, a vid- sort of genre of YouTube videos that has kind of existed. I mean, right. <laughs> it is a shame he didn't use one of the many banisters for some skateboard fires. <laughs> <laughs> That would have really that would have really livened things up, but it just shows you, you know, James Corden has carpool karaoke. Every people need bits now. People need viral bits. Even the state of, the state of the union is the ultimate late night talk show. <laughs> and to, to his credit, Trump did bring out a very diverse range of human props. <laughs> <laughs> it's there's three type of Trump speech, isn't there? Because there's there's sort of type one, which is his rallies, where 
it feels like somebody's let, let a baby in charge of the volume control. So he just sort of screams and then whispers and then screams and then whispers. And the entire structure of the speech seems to be that he printed it out, took all the punctuation out, put the punctuation in a salt shaker and then just sprinkled it liberally all over the entire thing. <laughs> and the, the topics, there's really no form or structure to them. His mind sort of just floats around like a turd in a swimming pool, just <laughs> causing problem here and then problem there. Then the second subgenre is him standing outside the White House talking to reporters, but somebody has left a tactical helicopter on. <laughs> so he has to sort of shout over it so you can't really hear what he's saying because there's no guarantee that at any point he isn't going to say the N-word or threaten Delaware with a nuclear <laughs> nuclear attack. And then this is the third genre where it's considered important enough a speech that they force him to read out the speech as it's written and not just sort of go off on one of his riffs. But the problem is that when he's in category three of his speeches, he doesn't really enjoy it. Like, he thrives when he can just riff. And he delivered the speech with all of the enthusiasm of a hostage reading a list of demands. (laughs) The the Rush Limbaugh thing is completely extraordinary. For those of you unaware of his uh, oeuvre, he's a a black belt provocateur uh, described in his own words as the rusty knitting needle in the weeping eye of American social cohesion. Uh, I mean, he didn't say those words in that, but he probably has said all of those words at some point (laughs) in his life, and I've put them in that order. He has been, through his career, proudly racist, sexist, xenophobic, very much a hero in the RSX Plus community. Um, uh, You know, an icon to those without a voice other than the myriad voices they have used listen to and agree with on a daily basis in the mass media um but was this a, a strategic play by trump he's renowned as a master of the behavioral arts trump and he's he's put his opponents in a classic catch-22 situation with this because either you are railing against a dying cancer victim or you're sanctioning the origin of a total shitbag <laughs> there's no good way out of this is there but i mean come on you're not thinking about the positive side of it right we are all now a step closer to getting a Medal of Honor. <laughs> I'd right. seemed so far away at one point. It seemed impossible. And now all of a sudden I feel like I could. In fact, I think I've already earned one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't see you getting it uh, this year. Um, no. Yeah, very much depends on how the election <laughs> yeah, goes. Yeah, you're... Your your medal of freedom is November dependent. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi rather ostentatiously tore up the speech uh, as Trump um, ended, and then said it was the courteous thing uh, to do, but strategically questionable. Again, they look a little petulant. Surely, just an over-the-top yawn or some bunny ears behind the head would have, uh, would have done the job, or maybe reading a copy of the U.S. Constitution and then laughing uproariously at the absurdity of it all, or just silently eating a live chicken uh, would have got that message uh, across. Well, I mean, she can be furious l- later on if she goes to the toilet and has run out of toilet paper. <laughs> she had she had plenty she had plenty of good butt wiping fodder right there. <laughs> but yeah, it is a sort sort of semi-pointless gesture. Um but at the same time, what else is she supposed to do with it? Like you're not supposed to like keep it and frame it. Right. At some point that's going in the recycling. Or have I been a leftist hippie there? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you hate America as well, Mitch? I mean, she she was in such a difficult position. She's sitting behind this man when he's saying some of the worst things ever. <laughs> like she's putting on a smile as as hard as she can. She swallowed so much blood, biting her tongue. Like 
She was talking to herself. If you pay attention, she was talking to herself. I'm not a lip reader, but I believe I read, you dirty motherfucker. <laughs> I hate you, you orange motherfucker. Oh, my God. If only I had a sword. <laughs> also, she sat next to, I'm, and I'm going to presume, a fully erect Mike Pence. <laughs> Is there any other kind? Yeah. Mike Pence's, you know... When everyone stood up to give an ovation, Mike Pats had to be like, let me just, I need a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I will say one thing about Pelosi's decision to like rip up the speech. It's like people, like the media was criticizing her for like breaching decorum. Are you allowed to criticize anybody for breaching decorum when Donald Trump is president. <laughs> is that particular? I feel like there are no, he just gave Rush Limbaugh the Medal of Freedom. I think she could rip <laughs> up a speech and not worry about tradition at this point. I mean, it's like Kim Kardashian accusing Meghan Markle of marrying someone just because they're rich and famous. <laughs> <laughs> It's not been a great week for the uh, Democrats. The um, Iowa caucuses, uh, well, have been chaotic, uh, to put it uh, charitably. Uh, Iowa, uh, of course, is what the America generally says to itself after checking its national debt. Iowa! Um, and the particularly after Trump's economic miracle. Um, uh, Harry, it was total uh, total chaos. Wasn't it? An app malfunction, then there was a cover-up, and then a trickle of results, some with errors, all combined with a classically American, uh, um, mathematically embaffling uh, system that uh, sort of seems to bake injustice into every phase of the electoral process. And um, the result is that the Democrats have ended up looking shit and incompetent at just the moment they least needed to, with Trump surfing high on his tsunami of exploitable bullshit headlines. It's more shocking because this is all Iowa has. <laughs> every four years, there is a presidential caucus and everyone cares about Iowa for several months. This is the only thing. Every four years, they had four years and they still f***ed it up. <laughs> like, they well, used an untested app called Shadow. <laughs> Shad- the only thing worse is if it was called Illuminati. <laughs> 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 um, oh my god! I, I didn't know it was called Shadow. Oh no! Illuminati is fucking great. Oh god! The um the upshot is the uh, the result was rather unclear. It was neck and neck between uh, Pete Buttigieg and uh, Bernie Sanders. Not so good for Joe Biden. Um, who, as uh, Trump's impeachment verdict proved, is actually a Ukrainian secret agent <laughs> working to install a Guatemalan refugee as president in the White House. I think we can infer that. Let's uh, just confirm that by putting it to an imaginary vote. 52 to 48. Yes, he is definitely, definitely that. Pete Buttigieg announced that he won the caucus well before the results had fully come in. Like, <laughs> yes. the caucasity of this man. <laughs> to... To do just to claim that, and also not the most professional thing to do. You wait until you're sure. It's 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 almost like he's an inexperienced mayor from a small midwestern town. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Dress for the job you want, and then just say you have the job you want. Right. <laughs> 
how how do people feel about Buttigieg there, Harry? It's 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 very split. I feel like there are people who like Biden, but every time he stutters, they're like, "Oh, he's gonna die." All right, Buttigieg. <laughs> I feel like that's <laughs> that's kind of the move. Uh, you know, he's he's gay, and I've certainly that's a that would be a huge step in this country if we had a, a gay president. But outside of that, a lot of his uh, you know values outside of like certain social issues are horrendous. In right. my opinion. Well, not horrendous. I mean, not like Trump horrendous. They're more like, uh, oh, man, this is totally not going to get us back to where we were four years ago, at least. <laughs> yeah. I find it really upsetting that Iowa and New Hampshire have so much power in determining the candidates for president. Like, these two small states help decide what happens to the future of the so-called leader of the free world, right? Like... It's like if the world made decisions based on the whims of Portugal and the island nation of Kiribati. <laughs> Shout out to Kiribati. <laughs> there's, oh. not, there's not enough love for Kiribati not on enough. this podcast. Absolutely. It'll be not. underwater and, soon. Um, I, I mean, would that not be a better, a better system for the world? Though, than really leaving it in the hands of America and I mean, to be China. fair, the last time the world took instruction from a small, seemingly geographically insignificant country, it ended very well for us. <laughs> Sorry, not us, you, as has been made abundantly clear tonight. Book news now, and Barnes & Noble has pulled a new series of, quotes culturally diverse classic book covers. Um, after receiving a well a welter of of criticism, they launched diverse editions, which featured covers uh, showing the main characters of classic books such as Moby Dick as people of of colour. Um, understandably, this hasn't gone down universally well uh, with well anyone really. I mean, at different times, I mean, it's it's always been the case through history. And back in the day, there was a special version of the New Testament that came out that showed Jesus as a middle class white guy, and that. <laughs> flew off the shelf <laughs> and the rest, the rest is, is history i mean uh, nish have um have you ever been put off reading you know jane austen books because you know, they weren't because they're because it's, asian men in them because it's absolute honky town <laughs> i think it's one of her one of her more obscure books honkyton abbey i yeah. think was one of her one of her one of her more obscure books no i listen i think we've um you know those of us who are people of colour who have grown up in majority white countries have sort of got pretty used to uh, um, reading about, you know, have been got, got used to reading books that are written from a white perspective with largely white characters. And, I mean, it just seems like the publishing industry will do anything except publish books by authors of colour. <laughs> well, that would be another way of going about it, wouldn't it, it? You know, it would be nice just to have a book written by some Indian person, and not have to look at, as I'm currently doing on my screen, an inexplicably black Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's very strange. Also, I mean, I, I'm not sure that how empowering it is to sort of see, you know, to sort of see a black person on the cover of Treasure Island, rather than just commissioning some f***ing people of colour to write <laughs> some f***ing books for stupid f***ing children. <laughs> Well, also, it, it, there's a level of absurdity, like, 
Like, do you want to be like me? It's like, no, no, that didn't happen to us. Yeah, like, yeah. The, the chances of Huckleberry Finn being an Asian boy in the 1800s is slim to none. <laughs> it's just very rare you see something that you know is going to upset everyone. <laughs> Finally, something bringing the world together. Actually, in a way, I've turned around on this entire thing. There's been too much cultural division. And at last, we can, racists and people of colour, can get behind the fact that this is a stupid f***ing idea. (laughs) Sport now. Um, Harry, it was the uh, Super Bowl last weekend. A very, uh, very exciting Super Bowl. Kansas City Chiefs. Coming back from 10 points down with only nine minutes to go to beat the San Francisco uh, 49ers. Um, uh, And uh, a halftime show featuring um, Jennifer Lopez and um, uh, Shakira. Uh, And as is becoming an annual tradition when I watch the Super Bowl, I I watch the halftime show and I think, oh, it was... I was a bit shit. And then find out everyone else absolutely <laughs> f***ing loved it. <laughs> I'm starting to think I don't have my fingers on the pulse of uh, modern culture. I've only seen the halftime show. <laughs> I mean, Andy, what would what would you prefer the halftime show to be? Like a, a, a Pogues concert? I, I really... I, just some blues, some acoustic blues, I, I think. I can't, Andy, I cannot imagine a halftime show where Robert Johnson comes out. <laughs> Why not? Plays Crossroads. <laughs> and, then, and then sashays off stage. People want spectacle. Yeah. People want J-Lo yeah. and Shakira. Give the people what they want. Right, they don't want you know, muddy waters and... Listen, Andy, I like Muddy Waters as much as the next man. Right. Unless the next man is you. But <laughs> even I, in this specific instance, can see that having Jennifer Lopez is a more Super bowl proposition. I just don't think the sport need, needs that extra level of razzmatazz. Well, you know, the, then you have no. not watched an American football game. Because yeah. I've never seen an American football match where I haven't thought this would be enlivened by J-Lo's butt. <laughs> Um, how was the game, Harry? Apart from the J Lo's bar show, uh, it was good, but it was a weird experience. Just because, like, I was watching, like, okay, the Chiefs, like, they appropriate Native American culture, and th- their fans make a racist, like, tomahawk chop motion and make up a racist Native American chant, and good Lord. so that's like very uncomfortable. So that made me feel kind of bad. And also the other team that, that you know the team the Chiefs were playing were the 49ers which uh, are the team that used to be led by one Colin Kaepernick and the whole time I felt guilty like am I selling out Colin Kaepernick by watching this and what <laughs> and what made it harder was that my girlfriend sat on the couch with a blanket over her head and with headphones on repeating I am not watching the Super Bowl because I stand with Colin Kaepernick and I stand for justice. Uh, So that was a little distracting. Um, So I did feel terrible uh, until the fourth quarter because, damn, that was a good ending. Three touchdowns by Pat Mahomes turned it around. Does it make up for for the blacklisting? Of Colin Kaepernick? No. Does it make up for years of racial injustice and police brutality? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> that 
that was that was from our end what I would describe as a concerned pause. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think we should have halftime shows. She's fifty. Yes, J-Lo that was is impressive. 50. I mean, that's, uh... Her butt looks better than my face now. <laughs> I'm thirty four years old. My face looks like a sorrow addled ballsack. <laughs> Um, that's racist, Nish. <laughs> so after the Super Bowl, um, Trump had to to check in. So he tweeted that the Kansas City Chiefs made the great state of Kansas proud. Uh, and the problem is, though there is a Kansas City, Kansas. This uh, this team is actually from Kansas City, Missouri, which is actually the, the famous Kansas City, which, to be fair, is a common mistake uh, for an American child to make. <laughs> he's, the thing is, Harry, he speaks to the Midwest. Right. He doesn't know which bits of the Midwest he's speaking, <laughs> speaking to. <laughs> but he speaks to the Midwest. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's uh, America Special Bugle. Uh, Harry, thanks very much for um, joining us and sh- sharing your <laughs> your pain. Uh, Our condolences. I mean, I think I've said this pretty much every time you, you've been on, but it, hopefully, at some point, we'll get we'll we'll have you on the show at, at a time when you've got a lot to be excited and optimistic about. But um, it's uh, I'm not sure it's happened yet since late 2016. Uh, at what time do you think this is going to happen? Is this uh, before or after New York is underwater. <laughs> <laughs> Let history be the judge of that. Um, uh, any shows to alert our listeners to? Yes, I'm I'm doing a tour of a lot of cities that I wouldn't normally play, uh, which is another way of saying I'm working on new material in cities that will not hurt my career. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, if that is not a blurb, I don't know what is. <laughs> February February 19th in Durham, North Carolina at Motorco Music Hall. February 20th in Savannah, Georgia at the hilariously named Victory North. <laughs> February 21st, two shows at The Secret Group. Indianapolis Helium on March 10th. The Taft in Cincinnati on March 11th. Uh, this one is tentative March 12th at the Paramount Ballroom in Oklahoma City. It's being moved from March 6th, but uh, it's still tentative. March 18th uh, in Buffalo at the 9th Ward at Babeville. Do I know what I'm getting myself into there? No, not at all. <laughs> March 19th, Ithaca, New York, Hangar Theater. March 26th, Portland, Maine in the Empire Comedy Club. March 27th at the Music Hall in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And then bringing it to the big city, April 1st, in the Space Ballroom in Hamden, Connecticut. (laughs) Harry, are you going to be driven to these gigs by Viggo Mortensen? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, Very few people will know that reference because it's from the Green Book. Uh, So unless you, like me or Nish probably saw that on an airplane because nothing else was there uh, <laughs> it's a very funny joke i like it it was the uh winner for most problematic film uh at last year's problematic film awards and also best picture at the oscars 
Uh, Nish, thank you for joining us. No problem. Unusually, I have something to plug. Oh. Uh, February the 17th, if you're in London, uh, I'm hosting a benefit for Fringe of Colour, uh, which is an organisation that gets uh, young black and minority ethnic people uh, into Edinburgh Fringe shows and is exactly the sort of shit I would be affiliated with. <laughs> um, they're a great organisation. They do amazing work and we're fundraising for them. The bill is spectacular um desiree birch rose matafeo ahir shah aka my biological son um sindhu v and kima bob uh it's going to be a great old night at the union chapel february the 17th white people are allowed to buy tickets <laughs> i've seen on twitter some people saying am i allowed to buy tickets you are allowed to buy tickets are they allowed to actually go into the gig as well or yes just, yeah. just the money we want. just want their money right okay. it's, see it as a form of reparations honkies <laughs> okay Uh, Thank you very much for listening, Buglers. We will play you out with some lies about our premium voluntary subscribers. David Mees thinks the future of entertainment will almost certainly include a return to prominence for the slide projector. People have had enough of stuff that works really easily, says David. They want to get back to the irritating human reality of stuff being annoyingly fiddly. Eric Woolley still cannot get over how weird eggs are and is fascinated by the rumour, as yet unsubstantiated, he admits, that if you were to crack an egg on the moon, it would have scrambled by the time it hits the ground. Neil Brooks points out that even if this were true, it would not apply if the egg in question were a peacock egg. Peacock eggs, according to legend and Buzz Aldrin's autobiography Neil has heard, are impossible to crack in space, because the shell becomes rubbery and can only be popped, not cracked. John Woodcock overheard the George Michael song Careless Whisper whilst out and about last week and pondered on how a careless whisper really is quite unforgivable. If you're whispering in the first place, rails John, you're clearly aware of the need to take care with your words, so whispering carelessly is doubly inane. Anita Benton thinks there may be no sadder species in all of nature than the curious houseplant, other than, perhaps, the ambitious goldfish. John Millington had some explaining to do after being told to put kindling on the fire. He threw on his granny's Amazon Kindle e-reader, causing a minor explosion, and for some reason, a burn market on the carpet in the shape of Charles Dickens snogging Jane Austen. Here endeth the lies. It's me, the ghost of the bugle, again. And he can't find anyone to turn the recording off. I've had a smoothie and a coffee, and so I'm a bit over-energized. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.